The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors, emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. We are coming to you live from the Upright Digital Studios in Houston, Texas. I am joined as usual with the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. Josh, hello. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Um, my voice is a little weak today, but my body is strong. I feel pretty good. It's awesome. <laughs> voice is weak. It's there's a lot going on. It's October, so there's football, there's baseball, there's college. There's just it's just endless things to do, and the voice is barely hanging on. But mm-hmm. I'm an athlete. It'll yeah. be there. Nice. Yep. Well, we haven't we haven't sat here since we've had a uh, a burgeoning war in the Middle East. Mm. We've had an Exxon Pioneer huge transaction in the upstream. Yes, huge. So it has been um, it has been a busy last. 10 days or something like that in in energy land. It, it's very busy. You did one of these on your own, and I heard it was great. Lauren, the producer, texted me to just to tell me how great the podcast went without yes. me. She said it was really one of the best. I was like, thank you, Lauren. I appreciate that. Yes, I did a podcast solo, and it was, <laughs> it was a little awkward having the guest sitting in that chair yeah. as opposed to you. So I, I did not call Andreka Josh. Yeah. ever very good but good, good. Um, but we missed you but it's it's good to be back you know be here. the last time i saw you was at the pickering team fest yes that was a great event yeah we loved it did you get good feedback from your customers and friends that came yeah thanks for asking man we had uh 400 plus folks nice. and um i think what we've tried to do since we started this conference is meld together conventional energy new energy mm-hmm. um you know, we we did the podcast with Bud Brigham live Who there. Who is a complete stud. Yeah, that was a great podcast. Really enjoyed chatting with Bud. And so um, it's an exhausting couple of days mm-hmm. to host something like that. But it was uh, it was very well received. And we'll be back next year bigger Good. and better. Loving, loving yeah. hearing that. Well, we are back in the studios. There's a lot going on. Um, I just, I mean, we'll get to it here. I just had a, went to a lunch today. Uh, George W. Bush spoke at this lunch and... One of the name dropping. Well, name you know, dropping. it's just my close and personal friend, our former yep. president, George W. Um, and one of the things he said was they were asking him, you know, what was what were your go to's as president? And the first thing he said was, I always started on time. So on that note, we're starting on time. Let's do this. Yes. So welcome to our guest, Mickey McGee, CEO of Kodiak Gas Services. So, Mickey, this is a it's a little bit of crazy ground for us because we didn't do a big preamble pre-call and so if you if if i ask you crazy things or josh says crazy (laughs) things um we'll we'll blame it on that but it's really good to have you here audience that is dan telling you that josh did the prep work um that 
if Dan would have done prep work, then the call is made. But yes, this is how we do it when Josh makes calls. Yeah. We just set it up and wheels off. And go. Yeah, yes. that's right. And and so we're glad to have you here. Um, as we always try to do, one, before we get going, tell us how somebody sort of follows along on, on the website, what's, what's Kodiak's uh, web mm-hmm. address so that they can look look at your business while we're okay. talking yeah hey uh thanks for having me this sure. is this is a, a treat for me i'm uh you know in in um just so you know as we as a recently ipo'd company we ipo'd in in the end of june this year um so i've met with literally literally hundreds and thousands of investors <laughs> since then so i promise you your questions can't be as off the wall as some of the there ones we go I like from that investors so good um yeah so we um we are uh kodiak gas services we're a contract gas compression company our website is www.kodiakgas.com k-o-d-i-a-k-g-a-s.com perfect thank yeah. you and you can uh lot, lots of information there sure. with our uh, investor relations Absolutely. Folks uh, site will, and all that kind of thing folks also. can dig in and while yep. they're furiously clicking and pulling up investor presentations and whatnot um <laughs> just tell us a little bit about you you know you're you're now ceo of a public company but where where did you start are you a texas person give mm-hmm. us the give us the mickey story so uh actually was born in great britain interestingly mm. enough um my dad was a uh executive for conoco ultimately conoco phillips and so uh, when i was smaller we moved around quite a bit and he was stationed in london when i was born and so, uh, actually, I'm a dual citizen, U.S. and Great Nice, Britain two passports. Citizen. Yes, that's right. So sometimes it uh, is beneficial to have one of those. So, Absolutely. Uh, um, so, like I said, uh, but but spent the majority of my life growing up in, in Houston after my dad got stationed here in the corporate office. And so my entire school age life, I've grown up in Houston, Texas. And okay. uh, so baseball player growing up, went to Tulane University, played baseball at Tulane. Oh, good baseball player. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know about that. What position? Serviceable. I was a infielder, kind of utility infielder, and then okay. uh, so um, graduated from Tulane with a degree in mechanical engineering. Uh-huh. Um, got drafted in, in uh, by the Houston Astros and played three years of minor league ball I mean, for the serviceable. Houston Astros. This is, I got okay. drafted in a round that they don't even have anymore. Okay. So it's like the thirty second round. So I, I will. Uh, I was so massive uh, signing bonus five thousand dollars. Yeah, and I got drafted you. as a senior, and we tried to negotiate a little bit, and they basically said take it or leave it. Yeah. So um, I'll take. So it. I played a couple of years of minor league baseball for the Astros. Was getting paid eight hundred and fifty dollars a month, and uh, when I met my wife, and she we, she got pregnant with our first child, and uh, that's when I decided I needed to go join the real world. The five thousand ran out. Yes, yeah. that's right. Get a real job and support a family. Um, so I, uh, at that point I went to work for a company called CDM, which was a contract compression company. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the original founders was a friend of my dad's and, uh, I went into his garage begging for a job and, and they put me in the, in the came field. out of the garage with a job. I did working in the field with mechanics and learning the, learning the, uh, the, the business from the ground up. So, uh-huh. um, that was in the early two thousands, um, learned the compression business um and um was with them for for i guess eight years when when uh uh energy transfer well we were we were acquired by regency energy partners regency was ultimately acquired by energy transfer uh when when that happened they kind of uh we kind of saw the uh, culture of the business change Uh a little bit um 
kind of got away from kind of our founding principles of, of taking care of your employees and taking care of your customers. And probably stupidly and foolishly at that time in my life, in my early 30s, I said, I can go do this better. And so I left and went and started a compression company. And uh, Which was called... Kodiak. Kodiak Gas Services. Kodiak, yep. So that's in 2010. That was in 2010. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so um, early on attracted a small private equity firm, the Stevens Group out of Little Rock, Arkansas. Sure. A family shop with an original commitment of $15 million. Uh, started to grow, uh, putting compression equipment on the ground, um, growing the business. Started and, and to grow very rapidly. Yeah, Mickey, let me stop you because... Uh, for for our audience, compression equipment. What's yep. what does this do? So wh- okay. what do your assets do? Okay, so we have a fleet of natural gas compressors. Uh, they are are basically when natural gas comes out of the ground from a drilled well, it's at a low pressure, uh, and so uh, oil and gas companies contract us to come in and and install our compressors to pressurize that natural gas up to higher pressure, so it can either be put into a pipeline mm-hmm. at high pressure or re-injected like they do in the Permian today, re-injected back down hole to lift oil out of the ground. Okay. So that's basically in a nutshell what we do. And so what, where, where we differentiate ourselves from a Kodiak standpoint is, um, is we, you know, provide a very, very high level of service that goes along with that. These compressors run 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So we have people that are out in the field that are on call 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Because when our compressors aren't running, our customers aren't making money. Mm -hmm. They're not either selling gas or lifting oil to sell oil. Mm -hmm. So uh, from that standpoint, our revenues and and our runtime stands directly in between our customers and their revenue stream. So we're a very, very critical part of their business. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if we provide a high level of service and make sure that we, our our compressors are in tip-top shape and they're running... uh, at 99 plus percent of the time including kind of scheduled maintenance downtime and that kind of thing then you know that that creates cash flows for our customer mm-hmm. which is you know that's that's we've always major selling point yep major selling is the selling point yeah. it really is 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 all about service yeah and, and Mickey is are these are these pieces because compressors can range from yep you know the the size of a car to the size of a bread box I'm, I'm exaggerating yep. but um, it'd be bigger than a car. What, yeah. What's do you run the gamut? So, do you have all these assets? Or? So we have all of those assets, but we actually specialize in the largest horsepower classes. We wanted to focus early on in our company on large horsepower equipment, which this is really, really, really big stuff, right? So how, our thirty six our our, our thirty six oh eight packages are twenty five hundred horsepower uh, units. They're eighty three feet long and weigh in excess of two hundred thousand pounds. Wow. Right when they're fully assembled, so you know you transport them on the road. It's a permit load. You've got to have uh, police escorts, Empty. and, and is, you have yeah. multi multi hundred thousand hundred ton cranes to lift them and put them in place. So mm-hmm. not only not only are they very critical for uh, oil and gas production, they are also very very sticky assets. Once they are put in place, mm-hmm. they don't move. Yeah. Uh, very often, which is why, you know, we get a lot of questions about our contracts that are typically three to five years, but our assets stay on locations much, much longer than that because of the stickiness of the, the nature of the production, yeah. especially in the Permian mm-hmm. Basin. I keep coming back to the Permian because we're a very, very Permian-focused company. Okay. Uh, over 80% of our assets are located in either the Permian or the 
Eagleford. Um, over 70% in the, or yeah, 70% in the Permian. Permian. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we, we, that was kind of a core philosophy of the business when we started off is, is we wanted to focus on, we, we wanted to take the volatility out of what had traditionally been in the compression industry where you saw uh, natural gas prices uh, affect cash flows and cash flow stability. And I said, mm-hmm. we said, I, I, I want to take that instability out of our business. I want to focus on only the large horsepower stuff that doesn't move on long, long, long life production. And that's big horsepower, cat aerial type stuff. It's uh, on Permian Basin production that, that we look out and see 20, 25, 30 year. Low down on the cost curve, sure. It, it, and- yep. You said that that was a focus from the start. Like, how early on was that a focus? Like, right away or within? Yeah, I mean, we focused. We were actually focused on large horsepower when we were at CDM, too. So, okay. we, you know, we we had shifted that direction. But we weren't nearly as good. At CDM, my previous company, it was kind of before the Permian turned into what the Permian is mm-hmm. today. Um, so. The reason I'm saying that, you start in May of 10. By June of 11, you've partnered with Steven. So. Mm-hmm. You know, within a year, you're recognizing we're going to need some dollars behind us. Yes, yeah. for sure. And, these and are that's big, because stuff. you yes. you own these assets, correct? You, correct. You own and lease, so it may yep. sit there for 20 years. Yeah. But you own it, and so the correct. the upstream companies are paying you dollars per month. Yes. Yes, we have a flat flat monthly fee um, that is the same month in and month out. So they get one invoice from us. Here's the here's our fee we're providing our service and the equipment for that for that fee every month so that's the you know it's it's Mm. not like a traditional kind of midstream company in in that sense that is that is you know volumetric based or Mm -hmm. tied to commodity prices or anything like that it's more actually more looks like a take or pay type of contract for of of a pipeline Mm -hmm. basically interesting and so you've You've mentioned you're in the Permian, 70% of your assets are there, but um, it seems like there would be opportunities around kind of all the other things that are happening around energy these days. Mm -hmm. And so um, tell us a little bit about, but before you do, so your oil and gas fleet, if you will, Mm -hmm. do you think about it in terms of number of units or horsepower or what's yeah we really talk about our fleet in terms of horsepower okay so we have over 3.2 million horsepower operating in in the field today okay. and that's between like like i said the majority of our assets in permian the you mm-hmm. but we also have assets in the rocky mountains uh northeast up in pennsylvania why uh, uh west virginia mm-hmm. area uh as well as some over into uh some oklahoma kind of mid-continent type assets and then some over into okay to, and, Alabama. and almost all this horsepower is around uh, gathering and reinjection. So you're not sitting on big pipelines Correct. compressing gas to go down pipelines. Correct. You're doing yep. gathering most. Okay. Yep. And so 3.2 million horsepower, and that would make you the... Really, I think we're the third biggest um, compression company in the U.S. as far as total horsepower goes uh-huh. behind uh, our truck in USA Compression. But they're not that far ahead of us. I, I kind of Everybody kind of thinks of... The big three. Kind of a three-horse race. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Kind of three three big players in the industry. Okay. Yep. And so we got 3.2 million horsepower in the U.S. and or in the U.S. oil and gas business. And so what do you do in energy transition, quote-unquote, and, and how big is that market for you potentially? 
Well, I mean, I think in, in terms of energy transition, I, I don't think our job changes, right? We're okay. not, you know, since, since, since this has all kind of become a little bit of the, the, I don't want to say the flavor of the month, but kind of more in focus for, for, for the U S and, and worldwide, um, you know, natural gas is going to play a part in the, in the energy transition. I think not only just uh, a part, but a big part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's here to stay, especially with the, the types of reserves we have, uh, with what's going on in the world with geopolitical worldwide energy security, like yeah. natural gas is here to stay guys. And should be, and it should be yeah. right? right. Short of, short of us figuring out how to, you know, store, solar energy in batteries that don't take up half the side of the United States. Right. So, um, so, so natural gas is going to play a, a pretty criti- critical role in this. And, and we've always, even before the focus on energy transition and the, the, the green future and mm-hmm. ESG came along, we, we have the youngest fleet in the industry. We have the most eff- emissions-friendly mm. and emissions-efficient fleet in the industry. And and that was all done very intentionally from, from the beginning and in the, in the get-go. We wanted to focus on large horsepower compression, which is, you know, which is the, the largest horsepower kind of category is the Caterpillar 3600 series. It's very emissions-friendly. We've done uh, intentionally throughout the history of the company is we is anytime there's any type of upgrades where we can make it more emissions friendly, we do that. We've we've upgraded engines from 0.5 to 0.3 grams of, of NOx emissions. We're looking at different things today to to kind of be the most um, responsible supplier of natural gas compression out there, right? So, making sure that we get rid of fugitive fugitive emissions. Uh, methane slip, that kind of thing that, that is, is not just because we're, you know, it's, it's not because we've been asked to right by investors or anybody, but because we think it's the right thing to do. Well, you said anytime we could, we did. What, what was that? And what, what was that? And when was that? Well, we, we, we made a, uh, we had a big push to upgrade our 3,500 series engines from, from 0.7 to 0.5 grams NOx or making them more, basically less emissions on per horsepower basis, mm-hmm. right? And so um, we made a big push to do that over probably 2018, 2019 yep. type time frame. And I think that was a 15 or $20 million kind of uh, initiative. Um, we've upgraded a bunch I mean, of the if, 3600s. If that throughout. was an energy transition initiative, that was early on. So, I mean, mm-hmm. they were an early mover in that, Yep. right? I mean, I, I'm saying if there was a... I don't want to call it a social pressure, right? But I mean, if yeah, there was a- and there really, really wasn't. But we look at it as a way to kind of future-proof our business, right? If we're the most emissions-friendly, mm-hmm. we're, we're, nobody's going to come in and undercut us, right? I mean, I said we said early on we do a lot of things to take cash flow instability out of our business, right? I want to know what we're going to make every month, and I want to make a little bit more next month, and a little bit more next month, and you look up and. You're making a lot more, right? And so, it's kind of what we told investors, and and as well throughout this IPO process, and and what we've tried to do is we're we're if we give you guidance, we're gonna hit that guidance, all right? And and we're gonna, and it's not gonna be some volatile deal to where one month we make X and then next quarter it's twenty percent higher because we figured out something or we had a really quarter. It's never gonna be like that. We're never going to have these spikes because of the down. way you contract yep. the business. We're just slow and steady, step into the right, steady as she goes, um, 
just constant uh constant growth and constant um like we went through uh the covid pandemic in 2020 and we never dropped our fleet never dropped below 96 percent total utilization for our fleet right because of what we've done to kind of future proof and in our our business with our contracts with the production that we sit on all that kind of thing Mm -hmm. our our competitors fleets dropped into the low 80s and high 70s percent utilization and my competitors would probably say I don't charge enough for the service that I provide, but that trough of when they dropped to 80%, they lost 20, 25% of their revenues, and we lost two. Mm-hmm. I'd say I got paid for it during that trough yeah. time period. Mickey, you said you're, you future-proofed or you reduced the emissions of your equipment. You mm-hmm. said nobody was really asking for it. Mm-hmm. So you weren't getting pushed by your upstream customers to, to do this? No. We weren't. It was like, I think there was a lot of people talking about ESG and uh, we were just proactive about it at the time. Yeah. And we said, look, it, it's, it's isn't going away and we want to do what's right for our environment and we want to be the best at, at what we do. And if we, if, if my dad used to tell me this too, you can't be, you can't be the best unless you're the best at everything you do. Mm. Right. You can't, you can't be a premier company unless you have a pr- premier safety culture in your company and you can't be the best at this you can't be the best compression company out there unless we have the best fleet and if there's an opportunity to upgrade our fleet then we need to do that because we want to be the best and we just it's kind of our philosophy mm-hmm. if we're going to do it we want to be the best at it we're going to be the best at everything we do is your dad still alive he is what does he think about what's going on he loves it he's a very very uh uh large individual investor in Cody. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I hope he was an early investor in the business. Um, I think he, uh, you may have met Rob, my dad, Rob McKee, before Dan. I know he knew Maynard well. Um, Where, but, uh, uh, what was his, he was, was uh, he a Kerr McGee guy? No, he was uh, with ConocoPhillips. Oh, Conoco. Yeah, so he was. Uh, now I've got to go look him up he, to see he's if gonna, I recognize he, his face. Yeah, so when, he, he was one of the top three guys when Conoco IPO'd from DuPont and then uh, when they did the Phillips merger. Okay. Um, so. And, yeah, I bet I've met him. Uh, I know um, he, he knew he knew Maynard Holt very yeah, well. Yeah, he, he's making me feel, him, so. Mickey's making me feel real old right now. It's <laughs> like, oh, you, you, you'd know my dad. <laughs> he, was the, he was the executive vice president of exploration and production okay. worldwide for Conoco okay. Phillips so awesome. when he retired. Um. So, <laughs> so let's get the hell off this topic real fast. Um, Sorry, I apologize. No, no, no. That's that's okay. I. Um, well, when you were a young lad, you. Might yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. I was. I was a. Uh, Everybody knows a that. young a young analyst <laughs> at that point in time. Yeah. Um, so, so does does the U.S. taking gas out via LNG? Does that change your business? Is that an opportunity set? Is it? Um, it, it, it doesn't change our business other than the fact that it creates a tremendous amount of demand for what we do. Okay. So it's driving yeah. gas demand. Yes, it is. There's, you know, it, you, you look at what's happening in the LNG export capacity um, world right now along the Gulf Coast, which we are right next to from a geor- geographical proximity mm-hmm. perspective with the majority of our fleet being in the Permian and the Eagleford. Um that LNG export capacity is going to increase by, you know, 10, 15 BCF a day uh-huh. between now and the end of the decade. Um, you know, from a from a compression perspective in the United States today, just to give you a little bit of some stats here. Um, 
to move a BCF a day worth of, of gas, you need about a half a million horsepower of compression but all, from the wellhead all the way through uh, gas injection, uh, gathering, uh, plants, re inlet compression, recompression, propane compression, and then mainline pipeline compression to get it somewhere like the, to the Gulf Coast to an LG facility. So if you think about that and, and see a 15 BCF a day increase in, in basically natural gas outlet, you know, uh -huh. outlet. So you would so think that seven and a half million horsepower, seven and a half million horsepower will be, have to be installed mm -hmm. between now and the end of the decade. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, you know, that we can't keep up with the demand for compression today. All of our competitors. And this is just domestic. This is just domestic. Yeah. You know, Caterpillar can't keep up with it right now. Their lead times for new engines today are right. 60 plus weeks out. You mentioned uh, these interview, you know, these uh, calls you had as you were going public. I imagine this story played really well. Mm -hmm. You know, the consistency, the demand, the growth. Yep. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's really an interesting thought because people are going, these investors, they were like, well, what's going to happen with, if there's a massive short falling compression and I'm going, I, I don't know. We've never seen demand like there is today for compression services. Um, and it's not just us for everybody, you know, all of our competitors sold out. There's no excess capacity in the, in the world, in the U S today. Um, because of, of a lot of different drivers, right? The, the, as, as a newly public company and seeing a lot of other companies, there's a tremendous amount of, of pressure for capital discipline and returning capital to shareholders, right? So capital budgets are lower than they've ever been. Um, for the, for the for upstream business. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, as well as ours too, right? So as well as compression companies that are spending money on that. Um, the 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 way the Permian production profile has grown, Permian gas is just a, it requires more compression horsepower than traditional conventional resources that produce gas at higher pressures. But the Permian is a very, very tight shale rock and it produces at very low pressure. And when you got $80 oil and, and it, that, and, and you've got these guys drilling two, three, four, five mile laterals now uh -huh. um, that require 16, 18 stage fracks, those have to be gas lifted uh, to get that oil out of those, out of that formation. And so, the 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 compression intensity of Permian wells and the and which is the, you know, production driver of U.S. domestic natural gas and oil production, it just requires a tremendous amount more compression. Yep. And so it's eaten, it's sucked up all of the excess capacity in our industry, in our little kind of niche market here, and. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting. And, and then you talk about you're going to need seven and a half million more horsepower for 15 BCF a day of LNG capacity that's coming on board. Before we started, we're on camera. I asked you, there was a facility on 290 that I thought was yours. Mm -hmm. It's one of your packagers, right? Yes, one of our vendors. Yeah. One of your vendors. Packers. Um, a Legacy Equipment. We'll give them a shout yeah, out. Yeah, there you go. They're going to listen. Yeah. That's a nice little shout out to them. They, they're giving you some nice advertising <laughs> on 290. Are. Very yeah. nice facility out there. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Mr. Nickel. Yeah. Yeah, Bob Nichols. That's right. Yeah. Um, so what are you guys doing to prepare? I mean, are you continuing your, your building, your expansion? I mean, what are you guys doing? We are, you know, I mean, we, we, we're, you know, we're building our growth capital budget for next year, not based on what, um, 
you know what the market demand is. I think that you know we're, we'll probably end up. And I probably shouldn't say this, but we'll. <laughs> but um, I love it when people say what they shouldn't say. <laughs> we'll get a call from his IR yeah. department going. We're going to need you to delete yeah. minutes thirty-two through thirty-three. <laughs> no, we'll. Uh, um, you know, we're we're going to probably increase our capital budget by by or or stay kind of where we're at from this year because we want to make sure that we're doing. We want to, like we've told investors, we we want to be a growth and a dividend company, right? So okay. we want to be able to grow the business by eight or ten percent a year and pay a, a a really good kind of higher than S and P five hundred energy index kind of dividend of you know six to eight percent, mm-hmm. right? Five to eight percent somewhere in there, depending on where the the, the stock price is, and so. Given a with so kind of targeting a total shareholder return of of you know the 15 percent per year, and yeah, that'll and make it in there. Then we'll cut that. That was great, right? <laughs> I I dialed it back from what I wanted to say a little bit. <laughs> well, it has to be hard, right? Because what you're saying is that you can see that the demand yeah. side's going to look good, mm-hmm. and there's nothing more painful in the world than telling a customer no. That's right. Or telling and, them, and, and, great, want to work with you next year. Right. Yeah, or potentially losing market share. Yeah. But, you know, we want to focus on what's right for our shareholders. And and we believe that a certain level of growth capex is, is right for our shareholders. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to be very disciplined about sticking to that. And uh, and that's something. And, and will we miss out on jobs? Yeah, I think it, we, we will for sure. We have customers coming to us begging us for more equipment today. And, and we're saying, no, we're not going to do it. Um, and because our capital is spoken for, we have signed contracts on every dollar worth of capital that we're we're going to spend for 2024 already, as well as pretty pretty close to through the first quarter of 2025. Now, so we're planning in advance. We know again, volatility of the business. We can see a year out. You don't right? sound like the CEO of a new publicly traded company. I mean, you, I mean, really, you don't. You, those are these answers are smart answers in, in with respect to you know capital discipline i mean it's it doesn't sound like you're um not trying to be smart with shareholder money i mean is this has the transition from being privately held to publicly traded been difficult <laughs> not really i mean it, it is uh, there's a lot more to do today than there was six months ago um a lot more to do meaning just more people to talk to more yeah. More, more, more stakeholders, this, right? More, more telling the story, right? Uh, as my biggest job for the company right now is to to tell the story, and and nobody knows us as a small as a. You're about well, to be big very privately. famous. Well, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> Market <laughs> caps what about a billion held. five, something like that, billion three. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yep. So the transition from private to public, not yeah. that. Yeah, it's nothing. It, it hasn't been hard but there's a lot more to do right is uh, we've got you know scheduling investor conferences and making sure that we're doing you know that you're 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 meeting with analysts and investors and buy side sell side all all of the above right and and uh and telling the story we've got a great story to tell and i love telling it and you know it'd be it, it'd be different if you're trying to sell ice popsicles to the eskimos right. right and that's not what we're trying to do here there's a tremendous amount of demand we're very good at what we do um, and, and 
I love telling the story. Yeah, it's right. easy. It's not to not me. a lot. I of... came from the sales department, and that's the easiest sell in the world. When you're passionate you know, about it, you believe yeah, in it. And yeah, exactly. And it's clear. You and we got too. So, and and we have a product somebody wants that a lot of people want. Yeah, more Nikki, of. you're not in the Hainesville. That's a big gas area. You don't mention that as a core area. It is. It, it is not. It, and 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 the reason why is that Hainesville formation is a lot more higher pressure than um, just don't need. It doesn't need as much. It compression. doesn't need as much compression, and uh, it's really an area that we. we one of the other core things that we built into our fleet even from the get-go is we wanted to have a very standardized fleet and we knew that the low pressure gathering type mm -hmm. of compression equipment was where we wanted to be yep. and so to move into the Haynesville there's some opportunity over there but to move in the Haynesville it would require us to kind of get out of our southwestern airlines model mm -hmm. fleet, fleet unif uniformity if you will yeah. so um we never really chased it there's always plenty of business in the permian and eagleford and nice. other places that you know so that's a with great our, example isn't it the the southwest just mm -hmm. consistency mm -hmm. yeah i like that yep spare parts mm -hmm. training all that kind of thing we had equipment in in the rocky mountains for eog is the same equipment that we have for Devon in South Texas and the same equipment we have for Pioneer in West Texas, right? That's a great I mean, example. So, yeah. you know, if if something happens, they lose wells or something up in the north in in, in the in the Rockies, we can load mm -hmm. that unit up, bring it back to the Permian, and put it back to work. Yeah, you. Um, so you're an owner of compression assets, and you're a servicer of compression assets. Correct. Do you build them? You know, so we don't we don't build them. So we buy obviously we buy the engines from Caterpillar. We buy the compressors that couple up with the engine from Ariel, and then we are we're um, OEMs for each of those companies. And then we give those components to an, a legacy mm -hmm. to uh, over on two ninety, um, and and they build the package basically skid bound everything, build the engineering engineered uh, vessels that go along with it, and the, the piping and the electronics and all that kind of thing for the controls and all those kind of things. Put all that together, and uh, and then yeah, out to the field. Yep. So you've got you need to be up ninety nine percent plus of the time for your mm -hmm. customers. Um, do but but it sounds like you don't do any performance based. You said we do X amount of dollars mm -hmm. per month, yep. um, and you don't make two X if you're up ninety nine and a half percent of the time yep. and point five X. So you promise service and you say run us off if we don't deliver uptime. That's right. Okay. And so if we, uh, yeah, so we guarantee ninety eight percent mechanical availability in any month. And the way our contracts typically are written is if we don't perform to those levels for consecutive months, then our customers have the right to terminate our contract. Yep. And to date, we've never had a contract terminated for that for that reason. That's great. Mm -hmm. And you're you mentioned you mentioned uh, Pioneer as a as a client. Uh, Pioneer is about to be Exxon. How do you think about? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of companies combining. Is that yeah. bad for you? Good for you? Indifferent for you? I think it's good. Um, you know, it's TBD on this um, on this Pioneer and Exxon deal, uh, Exxon's already a customer of ours on a small scale a little bit, and we've got a good relationship with them. So I, I don't anticipate there being any issues. Um, but, you, you know, I, I view consolidation in our industry as generally a good thing. Um, I think that what you're seeing in the Permian today is it's no secret that longer laterals in the Permian make more efficient wells. And, you know, and 
and creates drilling efficiency, well drilling efficiencies. And so I think what is driving a lot of this is is the is the desire to have more contiguous acreage in the Permian Basin. And if you look at Pioneer's acreage versus Exxon's very contiguous, it's it, it matches up very well. Um, we saw the same thing with um, Targa bought Lucid Energy Group, which was a private midstream company about uh, two years ago or something, and we didn't do any business with Targa at the time. And um, everybody, oh gosh, they bought Lucid, or what's going to happen? And are you scared about this? And now uh-huh. Lucid's now, now Targa is one of our our best clients, customers, and they've really adopted a contract compression model because we have have provided them with really great service. So, uh-huh. Uh, I don't anticipate there being any issues with us with this Exxon um, yeah. um, um, purchase of, of Pioneer. Uh, Pioneer's been a great customer of ours. They're our biggest customer. Yeah. So Exxon's about to be our biggest customer. Right. So That's right. Pioneer's who yeah, we yeah. set our, one of our first units in the Permian Basin. Oh, really? With. Yeah. So, um, if we looked back over a long period of time, back when I knew your dad, um, <laughs> if we look back, th- there was, uh, has historically been a lot of leverage in in the business there has, how do you think about leverage and what's well, an appropriate amount yeah i mean you know compression companies have traditionally run with higher leverage than probably the world views le- <laughs> leverage today uh-huh. um and there's times in our company where we ran with six or seven times leverage um debt to ebitda but you know from our perspective you know we were growing so fast during those times that the EBITDA contribution just couldn't come on fast enough to keep up with mm-hmm. the debt levels because it's a very capital intense business. But as a private company and you got banks that, that are willing to, to finance it for you at those levels. I assume because, against customers, against customer yeah. contracts, right? Yep. Yep, exactly. And and the the assets actually are, are maintain their value very, very well, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, we, we do business with a bunch of, uh, a very large bank group that's been doing this for a long time, since back when I was with CDM. And and it's, uh, people made their careers on financing compression equipment. Okay. And, and there's, <laughs> so, um, there's concern that banks consistent. are backing away from the energy business. Are you yeah. seeing that? No, we're not. So your guys, that. they love your... They do. And, and you know, and, and we do, we're... Finally reached kind of critical mass to where we're starting to delever, and we've been. It's another part of the the capital discipline, right? We're as a as a newly IPO'd company, we're right at four times leverage today, and and we've stated that our target goal is is between three and three and a half times leverage. Um, I think that that's, I think that's, an appropriate level of leverage for what our investors want to see. Uh-huh. I, I think it's lower than we need to be, uh-huh. right? But leverage is only an issue when leverage is an issue, right? Right. No, <laughs> so. for sure. Let me ask this, Dan. I mean, I feel like this is my my layman question here. Go for it. So I feel like this is an infrastructure product more than like a, a pressure pump, right? A, a frac fluid in. Absolutely. Right? So I feel like the banks would be less scared of this type of product than a, a, a fluid in or a frag pump, yep. right? I mean, so when you say, are they reluctant or your question, are they scared of this? Wouldn't they, this one be one they're running to invest in more so than, a, again, I'm just going to stick with the, the frag pump yep. because this one has to be used all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if I played it back, you have very large pieces of equipment with long contracts mm-hmm. with 
creditworthy counterparties. So the banks ought to be pretty comfortable with Pioneer, now Exxon's credit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so the only thing between them and that customer is you guys and your ability to make sure you get paid, Mm -hmm. right? And so then it's the company's track record on things like uptime and and ultimately profitability. It does make me wonder. So uh, in a service, a service organization, I always like to help people put in context. If I'm a a guy that's servicing, I work for Kodiak and I go out and make sure a compressor runs in in the Permian. Mm -hmm. Um, How much money do I make? How much turnover do you have? And how hard is labor right now? Labor is a challenge right now, for sure, especially in the Permian. Um, it's the, the, the overall level of talent that's available, available to be hired today is, is less experienced than it ever has been in our, okay. our industry. So we've actually had to adjust our model a little bit to, to add more people and run a bit heavier, um, from a technician per horsepower perspective, mm-hmm. um, to, to try and combat some of those things and have more people in the field so we can pull a, a portion of the workforce out and go take them and train them up and, uh-huh. and take them to training classes and that kind of thing. Um, I probably, I, I don't know what our average salary is out there. Are they hourly the or are they yeah, they're out hourly? Okay. Hourly with, uh, with, uh, on a 40 hour week with overtime okay. kind of thing. So as uh, our typical te- technician, um, and we have a range of pay school anywhere from entry level to sure. kind of, um, uh, senior uh yeah advanced technicians but so. but ballpark and again I, i'm pushing but um if if somebody makes 15 bucks at mcdonald's are you losing people to that are you 50 dollar an hour yeah, guys we're probably 20 we're the ends of the spectrum are probably 25 to 45 dollars okay. an hour yeah. type type guys and people are and, tough and girls yeah. actually we have some female technicians yep. now now too which has been uh which has been something that we've been working towards well and you mentioned early on one of the reasons that you guys started the company was employees, you know, mm-hmm. the, the culture. What is what are some things you've done to maintain or build culture that you think can kind of keep people that are that are hard to keep? Get? Yeah, I mean, look, we've 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 always said we want to treat our employees as something other than just a number. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to offer the best benefits packages in the in the industry, and give them. You know, we pay quarterly bonuses. We match dollar for dollar up for to six percent on our four hundred one k. We pay a hundred percent insurance for every one of our employees and their entire families. That's a big deal. That is a really big deal. Yes, it deal. is. It's a very big yeah. deal. And, um, you know, and we, we pay a vehicle allowance instead of making them drive a base model F-150 truck out in the field, right? So they're driving their own vehicle that we're giving them an, an allowance for. Um, and and so our guys pull up on location, and they're in their F-250s with their jacked-up tires. and Because they like kits, it, because that's, that's their personal that's vehicle. they think yeah. is cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, they are interesting. Cool. That's right, and so everybody knows when we're on location. So, um, you know, and there's, but, there's but a, the real question is, do you have a jacked up two fifty? <laughs> I don't have a jacked up two fifty. I have a, a one fifty. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. And and it's and it's a gas consuming, not a, a gasoline consuming. Yes. Yeah, that's okay. correct. So yeah, my CFO that was in here earlier, he has the two fifty. There we go. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I'm curious, just to kind of take a step, a little bit of a step away from the business. Um, so you start this business. Mm-hmm. I assume you're bootstrapping it. You go, wow, I can grow it, but I'm going to need money. You talk to Stevens. They mm-hmm. get you $15 million. 
I mean, somewhere along the way, you got to have a lot more than 15 million bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, kind of talk us through, I mean, what'd you learn building a business from a $15 million investment to a billion three mm-hmm. public company? Um, well, there was a lot of near death experiences. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure. On, as they, as they, we, we called it the knife fight, you know, we were in a, I'd love to have an entire podcast about just that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I, I'm, yeah. I bet it's the best yep. stories ever, but yeah, yeah keep going. It is. I mean, you know, we were in for, for a long time in our company, we we're in a constant state of capital raise. Yep. Um, trying to figure out how to layer in mezzanine debt to leverage more. And so we started out with a $15 million commitment from, from Stevens and we pushed them. Ultimately they went up, we pushed kind of pushed that we drug them along kind of kicking and screaming to a hundred million dollars that they had in the business. That's a, that's pushing, <laughs> yeah, so, kicking and screaming for sure. And that became kind of one of their larger investments they had ever had. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was a, about that time that they said, look, we can't, you guys are right. a rocket ship of growth that's that's taken off. Um, we can't keep up with that anymore. And so they launched in 2018. They launched a, a process to sell the equity in in Kodiak. And so we we ran that process in February of 2019. EQT was the successful bidder on that. EQT, the, the infrastructure yes, player, correct. not EQT Corp, the gas that's company. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, EQT Corp, the private equity business yeah, private okay. equity we're we're this is their US, U- u.s infrastructure arm so it's the first real infrastructure investment in compression mm-hmm. uh, ever really and so that's kind of we kind of hang our hat on that a little bit too and but uh they came in they recognized recognized the infrastructure like um the, the consistency the, of our business yeah mm-hmm. and so um they they came in they kind of recapitalized the business a little bit and put equity properly equitized the business and this is 19 when when in 19 is this it's february of 19 okay um in october of 19 that same year we we made a pretty sizable acquisition in a a company called pegasus optimization managers who the ceo was of pegasus is a former colleague of mine at at cdm chad was running operations i was running sales and we both split off and uh started our own business yeah Yeah. (laughs) and so uh, Chad, who Chad um, really did a great job building that business. It was a little bit smaller than ours because he kind of had a, a we had a year or two head start on him. And, Josh, um, I don't know, I don't his know dad. his dad. You know, yeah. dad. I don't know Chad's <laughs> dad. <laughs> but Chad, but you were uh, a little bit bigger. Yeah, we were a little bit bigger. We ended up buying them. Uh, Apollo backed them. Apollo ran a process. We ended up buying them uh, as well. Chad's still with us as our COO oh. today. So how many horsepower did they have? We were probably 1.5 million at the time, and they were probably 800 at the time. Um, really, really boosted us, gave us pretty critical mass to kind of, uh, kind of get ready for the the next, you know, IPO, the the next kind of th- an event, event. <laughs> some scale. Yeah, yeah. How so, many employees at the business now? We have just under 800 employees. Okay. Reason I was trying to get that nineteen time frame down was, right. So we we bought yeah. we bought Pegasus in October of of nineteen, and you know we're in the middle of integrating a, a right a, a, almost a billion dollar business into ours, and COVID hit in March. That's the knife fight, right? Right. Yeah. So got that done just before everybody kind of we sent everybody home. <laughs> and you're private equity, so there's no PPP for you guys. Correct. So and, you had to. But we, but our business never stopped, right? We were critical infrastructure 
that had to keep running, right? So our guy, our our technicians weren't locked in their houses and couldn't work type thing, right? They didn't, they weren't furloughed because they worked at a restaurant or something, yeah. you know. They were still out in the field working on keeping our compression equipment running because have to infrastructure right and so um you know we had some we made some um uh, revenue concessions with a few of our key customers to to help them out and kind of share some of the burden but we had some throughout that time a lot of we, we made some significant cost cutting measures that really kind of offset that and so uh, offset the concessions that we gave and so our revenues never dropped more than i think two or three percent that's incredible yeah, how and so that we so we we threw out covid this company grew horsepower grew margin and grew ebitda and i bet you that if you tried to lump us in the ofs kind of world i bet there's not enough oil field service company in the world that could say that, those yeah. things you, you mentioned you said you you gave some customer concessions, but you also lowered your costs in that time period. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? What does that mean? Were you overstaffed, or did you run leaner, or what happened? Because the number of horsepower out in the mm -hmm. field is not changing much, right. but you're we're, you're we're, getting your costs down. Yeah, we we just ran leaner, right? I mean, we we never cut anybody's benefits. We made sure we never did any of that. We 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 actually skipped one quarterly bonus that we in the fourth quarter we paid a double bonus and made up for that um but you know a lot of our business is you know we have a lot of of costs for fuel for trucks and that kind of thing mm. and we have you know you know taking customers out for meals and all that kind of thing and we basically took all of that stuff that was not critical to Mission operating critical, that yeah. unit um to zero and offset it all of that stuff, and then we kind of okay. gradually, <laughs> kind of gradually re uh, added that stuff back. Because when we gave a concession to a customer, we might say, "Okay, we'll give you a, a six or eight percent reduction in your revenues," but we'd write into the contract um, that when oil got back to forty dollars, we got a twelve percent bump from where we were mm -hmm. uh, from where we were then, right? So, so you recruit it, so we could re yep yeah, recruit recoup the. Uh, uh, what we had given up during that time. And so as we began to recover those revenues, we reinstated, you know, we paid for, we, we paid for everybody's gym memberships, huh. right. To, as a, as a little perk. Right. And so we said, we're going to stop paying for that refer right now. Um, when we start getting the revenues back, we'll, we'll reinstitute, institute those programs. Yeah. So, so you were, a. Uh minor league baseball player how many years ago oh a hundred pounds ago 22 but, uh, <laughs> 22 years ago something like 22 that. yeah from from 2000 to 2003 okay and so you now have 20 year old kids something like that mm -hmm. yeah my Did oldest they... uh, 20 my my oldest turns 20 next week um I, i've got she's in um baton rouge going to school in baton rouge also she's a sophomore i've got the freshman Softball, softball player at, at LSU. Then I have a, a junior in high school and a 12-year-old boy. The wow. This is the okay. only boy. I had three girls and a boy. By the way, Dan's always inviting all his tall friends on here that are all former stud athletes. <laughs> I get credit for bringing you in today. So oh, finally, good. I'm There we bringing, go, yeah. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, good. exactly. Are, are in, do it, will, will the kids work in the business? Are they interested in the know. business? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think the, the – 
I don't know if they're interested yet. Uh-huh. They might one day. And and so <laughs> once once they're out of money. Yeah. That's uh, right. Well, do um do they look at do they say, well, my dad works in the quote unquote oil and gas business, and it, you're right. We we hear or a lot about the, the younger yeah. you know the younger generations, you know, thinks that oil and gas is bad. Do I mean what are your what are your kids? Think they, about this. They've you been, get grief. <laughs> they've been they've been conditioned from pretty early on. Okay, to make sure that they understand they properly respect. Yes, that's right. Because I mean, not only is it like their their childhood and, and raising and, and the things that have provided for him for them, but also me and the way I was raised right. as, as well. So, you know, it's a couple generations worth of oil filled trash. <laughs> um, that <laughs> London trash. Yeah, that's right. Um, but they understand. They, they they get it. It's 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 been a business that's that's done well to provide yeah. for for what they want to do and and their lives and they have they have the proper respect for yeah. it. Yeah, Mickey. Is there any? Are there other businesses that fit with the compression business? I think there are. You know, um, and it's to be determined. So you know, we we, um, we we talked a little bit earlier about you know the the emissions quality of our fleet and that we're focused on that and nobody's really forcing us into that but we think it's something that that is important to be a responsible operator of of compression and and do the right things and Mm -hmm. so i think that potentially uh an acquisition of a company that that specializes in emissions monitoring or something like that could could potentially make sense as a as kind of a bolt-on that is a a company, a business that that really complements ours, and uh, and makes us better. Look at maybe a, a new technology or something like that that could be really interesting. And I, I'd be really open to, to looking at something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from an, you know M and A opportunity too. I think that there's there's. Uh, I told you earlier you you were asking about consolidation. In yeah. The, in the in the. Our customers, I think, consolidation in our industry has generally uh, been a good thing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's early on when I was a younger man in this in this industry, it was pretty fragmented, and there's been general consolidation. With we bought Pegasus, and our truck bought a company called Elite, and um, USA and CDM combined, and now there's kind of three, like you said, a three horse race now. Um, it's kind of three main players in the in the industry, and, and consolidation I think has generally been a good thing for our business, our mm-hmm. industry, uh, and there could be opportunities along that, that line too. No moss is going to grow under your feet. No, the consistency part of this is really sounds incredible. That's why it doesn't. You mentioned oilfield services. Is that how you would describe yourself? No. As, yeah, okay, no. yeah. I, I was I was trying to make the point that we're not oilfield. Yeah, services. I wouldn't think we're, so. I think I mentioned earlier, we, we really, you know, as we were going through the IPO process, we talked to those investment banks and they're like, man, you know, you guys aren't, we, we thought your comp group was midstream GMPs. And yeah. they're like, it's not, it's really pipelines. It's a take or pay contract and it's long-term and it's long-term contracts and the revenues are sticky and stay steady as she goes. It's really the uh, long haul pipelines is the, really the, what, what we look like the most. Rather than, you know, midstream guys that are, like I said, volumetrically um, um, exposed. Yeah. yeah. Gathering companies that if production goes down, their mm-hmm. their volumes transported. That's right. Down. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Well, we uh, are there. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we've missed? That uh, is this your, have you ever done a podcast before? I've not ever done a podcast. Well, before. everything from here on out will be downhill. <laughs> this has been great, though. Good. I've I've, I've enjoyed it. I, like I told you earlier, I re- I love telling the story about our business, our company. It's uh, it's it's something that I'm I'm very proud of, and started it with, you know, one employee, and now we're a publicly traded That's company. That's wild. That is a wild that. story to really, when you think about two thousand, what thirteen years in, yep, right. And you've got some gas yeah. in the tank if you're you're in your early forties. So, you know, wow. Imagine when he's as old as me. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do the lightning round? Yes. I, do you have questions or this is? We're gonna we're gonna impromptu the. Okay, round. I've got some that I always go to. Yes, I have uh, one that I think is gonna stump him a little bit. Okay, so Mickey, the rules on the lightning round. Are they're basically yes or no or A or B type of answers? You don't get to expound on it. It's just okay. a little bit of a way of of getting to know uh, getting to know you a little bit better and, and kind of fun here at the end. <laughs> so I'll do. Yeah, you start. All right, cash or crypto? Cash, smart move. Wind or solar? Uh, <laughs> solar, I guess. Do you think the UK Ukraine conflict goes into the? Second half of 2024. Yes. Taylor Swift concert or Beyonce concert? Taylor Swift. <laughs> so this one I think is going to stump you. Okay. But uh, maybe not. Tulane baseball. Yes. Or LSU softball. Oh. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Roll wave. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Whataburger or In and Out? Whataburger. Um, because of the timeliness of this right now, we're going to go Rangers Astros. Astros. And who do you think is going to win? Oh, I just said that. Okay, that's that's what we were thinking. S and P five hundred uh, for the remainder of the year from here. Are you bullish or bearish? Oh, I, I would probably say. Um, bullish, but I'm not the expert to ask that question. You have another one there, Dan? Yeah. So, um, LA or Miami? Miami. I'm always going to let Dan finish up with the. And. So, if you've ever listened to the the lightning round, this is Dan's go-to. Okay. That we end every podcast with: Will the Houston Texans make it to the Super Bowl in the next ten years? Yes. I believe in D'Amico Ryans. I think what he is building is going to be awesome. Nice. I like it. This is, I mean, Mickey's now one of my most favorite guests ever. <laughs> That's right. Because he didn't just say yes. He said yes. With why. a reason. Yes. I actually am buying into this D'Amico guy, too. And I think C.J. Stroud is the real deal, too. He, it's been it's been, been an fantastic. upside surprise. I, yep. I haven't. He seems I've been like a class act. giving away my tickets for the last two plus years. Yep. I'm going to have to start going. Yep. I'm I'm three and two. Going. Yeah, three and three. three and three. Three and three. Yeah. Three and three okay. right now. Yeah, Mickey McGee. Yes, CEO of Kodiak Gas Services. Yep. Uh, K o d i a k g a s dot com. Yes, sir. We really appreciate you joining us today. It was fun. Good yep. luck to you, Thanks sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. good luck. Thanks. To you. Enjoyed it.